Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. <laughs> Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Two Girls, One Ship, the podcast where we analyze, rate, and review all that the world of video game romances has to offer. I'm Genesis, the girl who is so happy to be back in her comfy chair. I am home, guys. I am home. I haven't been home in two weeks. That's going to be me soon for totally different reasons, but... I know how good it feels to be home again. I'm so glad you're home. And I'm Vervada, the girl who um, doesn't really have anything to say this week because it's been it's been insane. But I have a cat in my lap right now. And if, if you've listened, then you know that I'm in the process of moving across the country. I just sold my house today. Well, we're under contract now. So I guess it's not technically sold, but we're getting there. It's stressful, but it's okay. That's very stressful. Um, but I'm She Cup, the girl who can't stop listening to Castles Crumbling by Taylor Swift, featuring Haley Williams, and of course comparing it to the one and only Dragon Age. This is crazy. I haven't heard this song yeah. yet. Oh, you need to hear it. It's pretty good. <laughs> I'm gonna look it up immediately after this. And I am Teacup, the girl who is not a girl, but happy to be here. <laughs> Welcome back, friends of the pod. I love that. Change the words on me. It's all good. <laughs> now, we normally have you here for our Dragon Age wrap-ups, but as listeners, as our listeners know, these two have quite a few other shows. And for tonight's episode, we are delving into the world of Assassin's Creed. So we invited the host of the AC Lorecast, I mean, come on, who better than the girls and the cups to talk about historical romance? Now, if you're new here, welcome to the beautiful chaos. But you should know that our podcast centers on character and romance analysis and doesn't shy away from exploring the fun of fucking. Or from the deep emotional connections built between two characters using specific in-game dialogue, so if you want to stay spoiler-free, then this just is not the podcast for you. So, here's your fucking spoiler alert. Thanks for the spoiler alert, N7, who happens to also be a huge Assassin's Creed fan. So, there's that. And just like with all of our other previous episodes, we'll assume that you have some background knowledge of the game and character in question. 
but we will be providing context for those of you who may not be familiar. But I don't really think it's going to be us providing the context this week. Mm-hmm. We brought the experts in for this week's context. So today, we're going to be talking about a game and a relationship that people, mainly Shelby, <laughs> have been asking us to cover for at least the past year, if not longer. And we promise we will get to all of the romances eventually, or at least as many as possible. But today is finally the day that we find ourselves transported back to the desert sands of Egypt during the reign of Cleopatra VII, aka like the Cleopatra, the last ruler of the Ptolemaic Empire. This game is set from the years 49 to 43 before Common Era, and it is very beautifully recreated. While the game covers the typical Assassin's Creed plot of Assassins versus Templars, or in this case, the Hidden Ones versus the Order of the Ancients, it also has a beautiful and tragic romance embedded within, that of the characters Bayek of Siwa and his wife Aya. The irony of freedom. We are free of each other, yet it brings me no happiness. We must move forward. Remain in our tempest of blood poetry. Despite it all, we dance and they die. From darkness we have come and in darkness we shall stay. Yeah, so that was Aya, obviously. And talking about the hidden ones and just a little background of what we're getting. I have a couple of fun facts. So the games does take place between 49 and 43 BCE, but Bayek is born in 85 BCE. Whoa. Yes. Okay. And so this is the fun fact that Bayek is the oldest Assassin's Creed protagonist other than Ezio, but Ezio spans his life three games. So Bayek is the oldest one that we only see in one game. I mean, uh, he looks damn good for being in his 40s. I know. I hope 40s? I look that good in my 40s. <laughs> I'm bad at mental math. All I know is I'm just like, what fish oil is he taking? <laughs> like, my <laughs> knees crack so bad. I'm only 31. <laughs> He's not a today 40s. He's a BCE 40s, which is, you know, feels like a lot older than a 2023 40s. Well, there might be a reason for his excellent skin, other than he has a pretty active lifestyle and enjoying the sun and the wonderful oases of Egypt. But there is a theory that Bayek contains what's called the Isu DNA. And we know that Aya does from various contexts of other games that I'm actually not going to spoil because Shelby's playing the games right now. But if you know, you know. And so, but Bayek has this, the theory around Bayek having this DNA as well is based on the fact that the pieces of Eden or these ancient artifacts don't, don't um, mess with him. Like he's unaffected by them. He's resistant, which from the lore we know means that he has to have some concentration of Isu DNA to be resistant to them. And so Bayek, is then a member of the Magi group, which is a term for, it could mean two things. Um, some historians identify this as two separate groups, but they can be as mentioned as early as 24 
hundred BCE. Now I want to put that in a historical time frame for a little bit. King David from the Bible is around a thousand BCE. So we're talking fourteen hundred years later than one of an old old character in the Bible. And so it's a long. They're pretty. They've been around for a long time. But the first mention is that they were an ethnic group, not a military group, not a thing or a group that you join, but an ethnic group of people who lived in a specific region. And then the Magi also kind of come in as sometime around that 2400 BCE as this military group. And then eventually they come up and through some stuff they're assigned as an arm of the pharaoh servants of the pharaoh and so while this game starts in 49 bce aya bayek and aya have been married a long time they're married sometime between 65 and 70 bce right getting married right. in their 20s i get that mhm mm and so they meet, and their courtship actually begins in 70 C BCE when Bayek is 15. And so Bayek is going under training with his father, Sabu, um, to become a Magi and do all this. And then he meets Aya, who comes from Alexandria. And Sabu doesn't approve for a couple of reasons. One is that Aya is only half Egyptian. Her family, one of her parents, I can't remember which one, is one of them is Greek. And so she is only half a, or a certain percentage Egyptian, and they're not a real Egyptian, according to Sabu. And so there's a tension there, and Sabu views Aya as a distraction from Bayek's Magi training. But as we know, Bayek is a simp for Aya from the very beginning. And so he does not care what his father says. And so he decides to go with this courtship anyway. Um, he keeps going, even though his father doesn't approve. His father continues to train him. And then they get an, an encounter with the Order of Ancients, which Bayek doesn't know that they're members of the Order of Ancients. He just thinks they're bandits. But they have this encounter and a lot of things happen. And Aya turns out to be very, very helpful and so Sabu's basically like, okay, you can continue this courtship, but you have to devote yourself to this Magi training because you're so important. Well, they continue this, and then Bayek, in secret, with his lovely wife, trains her as a Magi as well. So Sabu will train him, and then he'll go and train Aya. And then through a bunch of stuff, Sabu and Bayek's mother are unfortunately killed by the Order of Ancients. Bayek and Aya are married shortly after this. And this is when Bayek becomes the Magi of Siwa. He becomes Bayek of Siwa, of the Siwa Oasis and the Siwa Vault, technically, even though he doesn't know that's what he's protecting. Um, he gets married to Aya, and eventually they do have their firstborn son and only son, Chemu. And unfortunately, the plot of the game does focus on um, the 
death of Hemu, his abduction, and what happens afterwards. So Hemu is abducted by a number of masked men who we know to be the Order of the Ancients. Shocking, I know. Um, but he is then taken underground, and Bayek and Aya, of course, are you know pretty frantic. Like, this is their son who's just been captured and abducted, and their number one goal is to get Hemu back, right? Um, so Bayek, in this process acquires an apple of Eden. They try to make him open the Siwa vault. Um, and of course, Hemu helps, tries to help his father escape. Um, but in this escape, Bayek accidentally um, is the one who kills Hemu um, accidentally, of course. I personally place the blame for Hemu's death still on the Order of Ancients. I've seen some people on Reddit and the like argue, especially people who don't like this game, argue that Bayek is the one that's responsible for Hemu's death. And even though he does deal the killing blow, so to speak, they never would have been in that situation if it wasn't for the Order of Ancients. Um so about a year later, after Himu's death in 48 BCE, Bayek and Aya both are out for revenge and justice um, for Himu's death. And so Bayek and Aya are not together when we encounter them in the game. They meet up. It's kind of implied that they have not seen each other for a long time, for a while. I don't know, Austin, if we know exactly how long um, it's been since they've seen each other, but it is implied that there is a bit of separation there. Um, yeah, I would assume so. I'm pretty sure Aya leaves for revenge almost immediately after Hemu's death. Yeah. And speaking of revenge, we know that Aya is not dressing for men or women She's been dressing for revenge. They didn't start shit, but they will tell you how it ends. Taylor Swift aside, they Bayek does kill four out of five masked men, members of the Order of the Ancients, um, until they find Erodidos. And it's not it's a fun time. This is where we see Bayek get the hidden blade for the first time. Uh for us romance people and stuff. This is the infamous uh towel mission or famous towel mission. Um, which also for me is like a point of like is peak Bayek, but also the worst Bayek because they take away his beard and his hair. Uh greed. That man needs his facial hair and he needs his long hair. I did not like the fact that Aya immediately shaves his head when they get back together. I'm like, no, <laughs> no. Yeah. Is there uh, any significance to shaving his head, like culturally or practically, or is it just I don't I don't a narrative thing? I don't know. Um, I don't know enough about egyptian culture at the time to say i will say that mo the magi is a religious organization that we kind of see there um they talk about serving amun or the hidden one which will play in later when that and so when we notice going in all the priests that we meet are bald as well so maybe there's some significance there but i don't know enough about the time period to say for sure or not 
I only know of like what I've seen in movies and like American portrayals of other cultures when it comes to this. But every time that I think of like a pharaoh or a pharaoh's child or like the movie uh, The Prince of Egypt came to mind and they all had their heads shaved and it was only when he left did he allow his hair to grow out. And so I'm wondering if it also has something to do with that. Like being truly Egyptian is to have your shaved head. But for all of it. Sorry, I'm sorry. I'm changing. I just was thinking like, well, for me, I'm like, if he's been on the road, like killing people for months and then he comes back to me, I'm like, hold up. You got some hygiene things you need to address before we're going to get together. So maybe it was just that. Could be a hygiene thing. Huh? I said, no, I totally agree because it could be like oh, yeah. a bug thing, like a lice thing. Like I don't want yeah. whatever that was bugs my you got in your hair. Has he been roughing it for months? And like I don't know. Well, it's interesting, and this might just be a game mechanic thing rather than like an actual culture thing. But when we have the flashback scenes, he still has his beard and long hair. So maybe it is a hygiene mm-hmm. thing. Be like, your hair is gross. I mean, I'm sure that they make them look good, but those dreads might not look the best after being in the desert and on the run for a year. Yeah, I don't know. I remember also on a, one of those documentaries on Netflix, they have like so many about ancient Egypt and doing stuff. They, they were really into wigs back then, like very ornate wigs. So that were like headpieces. So maybe they shave their head just for that. I have no idea. Anyway, we, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I did this. This is my <laughs> fault. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, normally it's me who gets the rabbit hole going. So I understand. Sure. Well, they kill a Rotodos, Um And Bike gets the feeling that there are a lot more masked men involved than just this one. He doesn't feel like he's the last one. And spoiler, there's not. Because the Order of Ancients is kind of like Hydra, where you cut off one head and more to two more take its place. So Bayek is told by Aya to go and meet up with this Apollodorus, who is also a very attractive man in the game. Um to get some intel, who introduces Bayek to Cleopatra in one of the most iconic scenes of the entire game, which is, you know, the fact that Cleopatra gets up there and she's like, whoever, I will sleep with any man here as long as they agree to be executed in the morning. (laughs) I loved that scene so much. And the, okay. I am in love with Cleopatra at this point because she owns it so much. She is traipsing around in whatever the fuck she feels like wearing. I believe we get like full profile side ass from her. And I'm like, yes, you are in power. You are in control and you own your own body. I loved it. Yes. Um, Well, we know this Cleopatra is the Cleopatra, the one we know from history, who does sleep with both Julius Caesar and Mark Antony. Talk about working your way through Roman leadership. Has power and is after men who also have power. Uh, Bayek, though, is unswayed by Cleopatra and she she's like, will you take my offer? And he's like, nah, I, I really love this girl over here. Which respect, respect to that for sure. 
Yes. And then this is where Cleopatra reveals that her brother and all these masked men are members of the Order of Ancients. Now, if you want to know more about the Order of Ancients, you can go listen to our podcast, the Assassin's Creed Lorecast, for our Templar episode, because they are a precursor to the Templar, and you can learn more about that there. But that's not where we're going to talk about on this podcast. Anyways, so... Queen Cleopatra, of course, she um, is having a lot of fun, like we've just described. But the reason why she can do all of this is because she's not currently on the throne. So she is trying to get her throne back from her brother, Ptolemy, who is a puppet, basically, of the Order of Ancients. And there are a lot of Ptolemies in history. This one is the 13th, to be specific, in the Ptolemaic dynasty. Um so that's kind of her goal throughout this game. We know that Bayek and Aya have a little bit of different goals in this game, um, but Bayek does continue getting more and more assassination targets, um, targets from the Order of Ancients, and Aya does finally convince Pompey the Great to ally with Cleopatra. Of course, Bayek, or Aya is a strong woman and she supports strong women. So she encourages Bayek to continue killing Cleopatra's targets so she can continue rising in power as well. But eventually Bayek, I think he becomes a little bit disillusioned with this because he feels like, okay, I'm killing all these people for Cleopatra, but they just seem to be political enemies of Cleopatra, not necessarily order of the ancient members um so there's a little bit of tension there already building up um eventually pompey is killed by lucius septimius and bayek and aya sneak cleopatra in to the palace at the same time to meet her soon-to-be fuck buddy julius caesar the one the only but she does of course use every tool in her arsenal, including her own, as we know what we mean. Um, but she does eventually win this war and her brother Ptolemy gets eaten by crocodiles. Uh -oh. Oh, I was like, no, this quest was also funny and fun to me because it's also like a little bit of a throwback to the other games, right? In the Assassin's Creed universe where you roll up into a carpet to get, to get snuck into places, right? And so you had to roll Cleopatra up into a rug in order to get her in there. And I just thought that that was hilarious. Yeah. And a nice little nod. Yes. Uh, yeah. So Bayek is continuing his killing pre um, of doing this. He kills Ptolemy's besties, uh, Pomthinius. But he goes to kill Lucius Septimius, realizing that he's an Order of Ancients member. But Caesar, Juli the Julius Caesar, the man himself, stops him. Why, you ask? Betrayal. Because Caesar is a member and influenced by the Order of Ancients. So Cleopatra becomes Pharaoh. She basically ghosts Bayek and Aya. Um, basically just forgetting all the service that they've done for them, and they ally themselves with the Order of Ancients. It is here where Bayek and Aya have a really emotional scene. Um, a really big scene that I think when we get into the romance really defines kind of why they end up why they are. 
But it's during this that they form the Hidden Ones, which are the pre-assassins um, dedicated to protecting the freedom of mankind, humankind, dedicated to removing those in power who should not have it and want to abuse it. And so they set out to kill two different order of ancients people. Uh, they go to the tomb of Alexander the Great. Uh, they find or a mortally wounded Apollodorus who tells them that Caesar's lapdog Flavius, uh, Flavius Metilius, which would be a good band name, uh, is the leader of the Order of Ancients, and he took the apple in Alexander's staff, which is important because Alexander's staff is a staff of Eden. And so we know from Assassin's Creed 2 that when an apple and staff are put together, they open a vault, the Nisu vault. So that's why they he's doing that. So Bayek goes back to Siwa to see Flavius and Lucius have used the apple and staff to open the vault, uh, which leads to a map of more pieces of Eden. Now, this is a throwback to the original Assassin's Creed game because we see this map similar at the end of Assassin's Creed 1. And so more stuff happens, a real sentimental scene where Bayek has lost his childhood friend, uh, and he gets a sword, and then he goes, and he wants to hunt down Flavius um, to avenge Camus' death. He meets back up with Aya, who has recruited more assassins, and she's leaving to go to Rome to finally kill uh, Septimius and Caesar. They separate. Bike and I are now separated. They're married, but no longer in love with each other. Well, we'll talk about that. Uh but dedicated to the fight of prote protecting the world from shadows. In 44 BCE, Aya kills Lucius and infiltrates the Roman Senate to help assassinate Caesar. Uh, but Aya is the first one to drive a dagger into Caesar's back. And so, feeling that. But this is a throwback to Assassin's Creed II. So, Aya's assassin's name is Amunet. And in the vault underneath the Auditory Villa, there is a statue of Amunet, and it states that she used a knife to assassinate Julius Caesar. So this is a throwback all the way back to Assassin's Creed II, that Aya is now Amunet and is killing Ju Julius Caesar. And then she warns Cleopatra better to behave to behave or Mommy Aya will come back and kill her. Uh, there's also a scene where she basically implies later that Aya is the one who gives Cleopatra the snake to unalive herself when Octavian and his forces are basically ransacking Egypt after Mark Antony. And then Bayek recruits and trains more assassins in both Sinai and all over uh, and Aya does the same in Rome. And that's the end of the game's plot and the background. So now we can get to what this podcast is about, which is the romance, the juicy bits. Sorry, I think we need to take a minute here and just laugh about how much you word corrected and went through and like big major props to you because we literally put in here like 
which is important for some reason. And then you explained <laughs> in the moment, in real time, why it was important. So congrats and props to you on that. It was a test. <laughs> it was a test, yes. You passed. Also, I didn't know. So I was like, because I never finished Origins, although I did see it's on mega sale right now in the PlayStation mm. store. So I might get it again. Um, uh, it, I don't know. I think Origins as a whole should come with a uh, emotional stability warning. Like, do yes. not play this game if you are not ready to deal with trauma well something that's interesting was just me re-watching it because i hadn't played it in so long and then watching the scenes between bayek and aya and then like reading the summary plot again and trying to refresh my memory i was like oh yeah i forgot all about their son and last time i played this i was not a mother and now i am and i'm like i feel like it would just hit totally differently like i totally understand why aya just immediately pieces out and goes on a killing rampage because I would too if I had those skills and was also not able to be held liable for my actions like she is. So, yeah. I played this at the worst time possible because I played it maybe a couple of months after Rexy's surgery. And so my baby is at that point was semi comatose. She hadn't woken up from like all of that stuff and then i'm like okay i knew that there was going to be like a big trauma right in the beginning because duh it's assassin's creed and so i was like i was expecting that but then there's like subsequent child deaths throughout this and there was a moment where i was like i i thought i failed a mission and so I had to, I, I like, I was like, all right, I'm going to go back and like, look up a, a wiki guide to see if I can figure out how to save this poor little girl. And they're just like, nope, there's no way to save her. It's a plot point that this other child dies on you. And I'm like, compounding the trauma. Yay. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. It's not for the faint of heart. No. But there are definitely some lighthearted fun scenes, and we get to talk about those soon. Uh, so let's get yeah. to that now. But before we get to that, I guess we should take our quick little mid-break, listen to some sponsors of the show, hear some fun facts, and thank our patrons. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, so my brain just totally went to something culturally racist, and so I'm going to share it here, because my first thing was, okay, normally we dance into the mid-break, and then I was like, oh, that song, Walk Like an Egyptian, and then I was like, should we do the dance? And then I was like, that's probably not good anymore, right? <laughs> no, but way to show your age. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where does the dance even come from like i don't is it from the paintings i think the hieroglyphics? like the hieroglyphics yeah I think. 
I'm sure that Weird. what happened is there was the paintings and then some pop star did it in a music video. Yeah. And that's how it got. My question is, do you think there's some absolute dumbass out there who really thought Egyptians just walked around like that for real? Because it's not a, an efficient way to move. So <laughs> no, no, it is not. It's so I'm. I'm going to quote one of my one of our professors uh, that is the answer to this question, which is, uh, can we swear on this podcast? Absolutely. Okay. Did you see uh, how many times I wrote fucking the notes? Uh, (laughs) uh, But anyway, I couldn't remember. But so his quote is uh, racism makes you fucking stupid. So that. Yeah, it's accurate. It makes you stupid, and I feel like it exposes you as stupid, too. Mm-hmm. Correct. All right, let's move on from racism to fun facts. <laughs> <laughs> the voice actress for Aya is well known on our show. Alex Wilton Reagan, otherwise known as Samantha Trainer from the Mass Effect trilogy. No, just number three from Mass Effect 3. Alt Cunningham from Cyberpunk. And the female Inquisitor, the British version, uh, uh, in Dragon Age Inquisition. And she's been in a bunch of other stuff too. I will say, yeah, I like have no British idea. She female was series voice? Yeah. I just set my Siri to her voice, and I'm like, I cannot believe it's actually her voice. I love your goldfish mm-hmm. brain so much, honey, because Sorry. we literally talked about that when we talked about trainer. Ted Lasso told me to be a goldfish, and I took it to heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, no, I literally just said it as her. It's pretty great. Here's like a controversial question, though. Alex Wilton Reagan is at least visibly a white woman how do we feel about her portraying aya because i have very complicated we don't have to get into it i just i just don't know how to personally feel i don't i never saw anyone having a problem with it on the internet but i also did not directly google for that because i was scared to do that <laughs> so I don't that's know. fair i put that in my notes like for later when we just had you know free discussion because I think it's a little problematic um, because Aya is not, she is a person of color. And I think that it is, it is a very complicated topic because we're not talking about people from today. We are not talking about like ethnic groups that are, you know, exactly necessarily the same as they are in today's society. So I think it makes it a little bit more complicated, but I think it's definitely, to me at least, it's a little bit weird that Ubisoft would be okay with with hiring a white person to voice a non-white person, in my personal opinion. Yeah, my instinct is to say it makes me uncomfy, but I also understand it's not the actresses or actors' fault at all. They're not held responsible. It is the system. We kind of talked about that, me and Jen, in I don't remember what number episode it was, but it was where we spoke to we spoke with Helen and I asked, I asked them about that because I was thinking about Laura Bailey playing, um, gosh, I can't remember this character's name either in Uncharted. This, she's a black South African woman and Laura Bailey's a white woman, but she like nailed the South African accent. So they hired her, but like, it seems like an industry problem. 
you know, I wish they would fix it because there, there, no one can tell me that there wasn't a woman of color, of any color, let alone like of Middle Eastern color who could have played her and it would have been, they could have found it. But so it's also a point of like when you look at the history of Assassin's Creed because their first, well, hold on, let me go back. We're going to count Altair as a person of color because he is Middle Eastern as well. So he is a person of color, but the next one after that would be Connor Kenway, who is Native American, and he is voiced by a Native American voice actor. Noah Watts voices Connor Kenway. And so they have a history of like hiring these people to voice them, so... It's not a point of like they have to push against executives who don't want this because they've done it before. Yeah, I think a problem I I only know peripherally because I don't work in this industry, but like studios have like rosters of actors that they have on call, basically, that they go to time and again. It's why you hear the same voices in Bioware games and such. But like it also creates that problem of like you have this bubble of actors that you rely on and you don't often seek new talent. And then you have all these people getting in through connections and privileges, and it just compounds on one another, casting directors not making it a priority, maybe. Or in the case of with Laura Bailey's character I was talking about in Uncharted, she didn't even know what the character looked like until she showed up for her first day of recording. And like, that's a huge problem too, just the secrecy of the games industry. Like um, Keith Farley, who voiced Thane, he also voiced... Kellogg in Fallout 4. And he said in an interview once that he didn't even know what game he was voicing for until he saw the trailer and like he heard his voice. Like he had no idea because of how hush hush the games industry is. So there's all these different factors that contribute to it. And I will never blame the actual actor for this problem, but it's definitely a problem. And it to sum it up, it made me feel icky when I realized who it was because also Trainer is a woman of color. She's supposed to be Indian. And well, in, like British Indian ethnically, and, and she is voiced by the same voice actress. So I think it, it goes back to like the voice actor, Alex. Um, yeah, so Alex Wilton Regan, Reagan, she is in so many video games, like across the board. She voices one of the playable characters in Divinity 2, obviously, Mass Effect, obviously, Inquisition. She is prolific, and so it would lend some, like, credence to her voice acting. I think her voice acting is good for conveying the voice of Aya and everything. It's just kind of like we all said of, like, there probably was someone who is equally as good who represents the race that Aya is supposed to be. On a positive note, the voice actor for Bayek is a man of color, his name is Ababakar Salim, and he is a Black British man. Um, I guess that is a plus for Ubisoft. <laughs> and he's also an amazing actor. He hasn't been in two... He's been in games, but um, what I know him from is he played Father in Raised by Wolves, which is like... Have you guys seen that show on HBO? Or I guess Max now it's called. But it's like this crazy sci-fi show where these children are raised by androids, and he's the father android, and there's a mother android. Um, or gynoid, I guess is the proper term, which I hate. No, we don't um, use that word here. Yeah. He was also in Black Mirror and he was in 
the Legend of Vox Machina, he voiced Zanroar, which that show is like my exact brand of humor. So if you haven't seen it, it's on Amazon Prime. But yeah, um, great actor. At least one out of two of them was a person of color to voice these people of color. Well, I am very, very happy to announce that we broke 130 ratings on Spotify. We are now at 132. Thank you. Thank you to all of you. Much appreciate. Major thank. And of course, every episode, we thank the patrons, Toasty and Apollo, Becky and Bat Knight, Cloudy and Wynn, Miss Theos and the Cubs, Lizzie and Muffiny Cake. Big love, major hearts. Yay! <laughs> Don't think I have anything else to add to the middle of the show. So let's get back into it. Okay. It's time to talk about their marriage being destroyed by their need for revenge. So get ready to be sad. Oh, major sads. But let's start with something a little bit more sexy. It was Eudorus. He died flailing in the baths. I wish I had been there. a beautiful background so at least i can't bitch too much about fade to black every single time we're getting close but at least i get to look at something pretty i just wish it was bayek's ass (laughs) i will say that once i unlocked the towel as an outfit i ran around in that for a while my favorite part of like the need for censorship in this game is the quest where you get buried in the sand, which they obviously would have like buried you naked in that sand. But oh, yeah. they pull Bayek up and he's wearing the towel. Like, so he has secured in all of the sand, that towel has stayed secured to him. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah, in order to keep the, why did, why do they have to keep the, it's not like it had to be PG. It's a game all about murder. Like it's called Assassins. So have you ever looked up the heads of the uh, ERSB? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, we did like a whole big thing on them and how a lot of the rating has to do with sexual acts and things like that, that will promote your game to higher levels. And so you can show mm-hmm. as much blood and gore and violence as you want, but show half a titty in your NC-17. Yeah. And just a general thing of, I think, probably whether for better or worse, um, sometimes showing a male the penis showing a penis will get your game banned in certain countries yeah and so ubisoft as a very 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 worldwide game company is probably thinking about that all the time the thoughts 
Or do you want me to just go through these audio clips? (laughs) Oh, no, it's okay. I I know. I didn't order it, like, in any way, because I don't know what I'm doing. I just... So, like, I want... I guess because we're at the beginning and we just played that part, I just wanted to note, like, for their relationship, I noticed that, like, the first half of the game, they are basically either consumed with vengeance or lust. Like they are constantly planning like the scene basically right after that where he's saying my wife my wife and then it cuts back to them clearly having just had sex and they're immediately planning their next move while they're like not fully clothed and they're snuggling so for them at this point in their marriage like their relationship is really just built on their mission to avenge their son's death and I guess, I mean, Bayek clearly loves Aya forever, like still to this day. I know you said earlier, Austin, that we'll talk about that when I said they don't really love each other. I meant mainly Aya. Like she, her love, she killed it, you know, like she destroyed it. She destroyed herself so that Mm -hmm. she could take on this mission. And that's what I thought was really interesting. The scene you talked about where they're on the beach and they decide to make the hidden ones like official and then Bayek drops that eagle skull that was I think Kimu's necklace right it was his necklace and Mm -hmm. it makes the assassin logo in the sand the shape of the skull does and I was like that part was really cool because I totally forgot that that happened um and I was like oh yeah that's how they got the logo for the assassins brotherhood that's so cool um but at the same time I just thought it was really interesting how they, this death of their son created this huge purpose for their life, which in turn just leads to more death and they can justify it all they want. But at the end of the day, it's thousands of years later and the Templars and assassins are still killing each other. Nothing's fixed. The world still sucks. Are they doing good? Yeah. I mean, as far as Assassin's Creed goes, romances i'm ignoring odyssey and valhalla because they are their own category of romance so i'm only talking about one through origins at this point as far as romances go we don't get a lot in the assassin's creed universe we get a couple of Ezio being a fuck boy and then he finally gets his relationship with sophia in revelation and then we get a couple things of Edward has his marriage that he had and then doesn't have. And then like, that's weird. This is the first time that we like deep dive into a relationship and we're at its end, which I think is really prevalent in how you view this in Bayek and Aya is that we're not viewing their buddy romance. We're not viewing what's going on. They have been together for two decades. Yeah they have or around that time maybe somewhere around that time two decades they've been together you're married and so we're watching the end of a long relationship that has had to adapt and change and i shelby and i have not been married that long it'd be six years in august and the way our relationship has changed from even when we first got married six years ago to now 
is vastly different. I can't even imagine what that looks like over decades. Yeah. And with trauma added in there. And so like Bayek and Aya, like viewing that from the, that we're seeing this relationship from its end really affects something. And the fact that neither of them, when we first meet them, are really ready to let go. And so I think like what we see is in this like lust and everything is a desperate cling to grasp the life that happened before Camu died. Mm-hmm. I fully agree with that. Um, my husband and I have been together for 20 years and we have gone through a very recent trauma involving our child. And so this game definitely it hits a lot of those notes now i i mean obviously i'm not going to go on a murderous rampage <laughs> and i don't think that you know in the next couple of years my marriage is going to end with forming a brotherhood um but i definitely feel the pain and i can empathize with what they're going through on this and mm-hmm. yeah it's it's very very interesting uh but I also do feel like Bayek loves the shit out of Aya. He, I love how much he respects and honors and just sees Aya for her worth and tries to uplift her even higher. There are some lines that he, when, when I was, when I was playing as him, I was like, damn, you have got game. And I wish that I was the one, you know, I wish I was Aya so that way I could feel this love coming at me. Because unfortunately, as Bayek, I never really felt that same level of love coming back at me. Uh, I don't, I I fully agree that uh, Bayek loves Aya way more than she loves him. What I think is sad is like you can tell that their marriage was really strong until now. And so it makes it even more sad to see it end and how Aya pulls away because she like fills up all of the space she had for love for Bayek with her responsibilities that she feels she has to undertake to save the world. And I don't know, I guess avenge her son or maybe do it in his memory, trying to ensure, erase every trace of the people responsible for his death. I mean, I don't blame her for that, but it just sucks that that led to her no longer even being Aya anymore. She just completely left. Like we, I already said she killed, she words it as she killed Aya and replaces it with Amunet, which I thought this was interesting because I, I love um, the meanings of names. They, I'm, I'm sure you know when you're writing a story, you pick the names for a reason. And Aya means wonderful or miracle. And then, as you said earlier, Austin, Amun and Amunet that literally means the hidden one. It's a name of an okay. Egyptian goddess. So I just thought, like, she literally became the mission. Like she named herself the hidden one too. So she just and Bayek's left behind. So now he doesn't. I mean, he still has the mission too, but it just, how do you, I don't even know how you go on really losing your son and then losing your wife to whatever she's become. 
To me, I think this is a really good representation of how people deal with trauma differently, because to me, Aya is emotionally avoidant. She pushes down her emotions so that they don't bubble up and come to the forefront. And she masks all of her her sadness and, and her depression and anything else she's experiencing with rage, which frankly... I can't criticize that because that's a little too relatable for me, but Bayek, on the other hand, is the one who actually does fully feel his emotions. I think we see a a really um, remarkable range of emotions from him throughout the game. And so to me, it's a very interesting role reversal um, of kind of the stereotype of, oh, the emotional woman and the stunted man. And they kind of almost are the opposite of that stereotype. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I think we have a few, a few more clips to get through. And then I, I most definitely want to play the one where Aya makes her final transformation. Um, and then we can kind of go free for all on that. Um, because there's another moment where Bayek and Aya get to meet together, they get to smash and then have to leave again. And it's just like, that's what their relationship is at this point after Hamu dies. I feel as though wherever we go, tragedy follows. Perhaps we should come to terms. It is hard. I don't want to let go, but... Every time I think of you, I think of Hamu. And everything we lost. Me too. So for now, we kill. Farewell, Aya. I think that plays directly into what you were just talking about, about how she's like, nope, I'm going to block everything off emotionally, and I'm just going to murder my feelings. While Bayek is just like, you know, I feel really, every time I see you, I see him, and I'm trying to cope and learn how to deal with this. And she's just like, nope, let's go stab things. I, I kind of think she must feel that too, though, when she sees him, she sees her son. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we just know from real world, like, it is very hard for parents to stay together after death of a child. Like, just the mm-hmm. divorce rate's very high because it's a constant reminder of your loss. And whereas Bayek, I think, is willing to, like you said, feel his emotions, he could probably... He wants to stay, that she doesn't. So they don't stay together. And I actually, yeah, I actually brought a uh, stat from a book because I was curious how many, what's the percentage of couples who break up or divorce after the death of a child? And so this stat comes from the book, When Children Die, Improving Palliative and End-of-Life Care for Children and Their Families. It's published by the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine. So this is a legitimate stat, and they claim that about 72% of marriages end in divorce after the death of a child. So to me, it's like, yeah, of course they would go their separate ways because Mm -hmm. most most people do. It's really hard to overcome something like that. Yeah. And especially with it being their only child, I could see that that would play a part into it too, because if they had other children together, you know, I could see that this whole story would have been different Mm -hmm. if they had stayed together for the kids. You know, you don't go on a murder spree if you've got, you know, another kid to take care of at home. Right. Maybe they were trying to also make another child because 
every time they got together, they it, like their scenes all ended with a, I'm still really sad. I want more revenge. Let's go bang. That's how they all play out. Uh, so I've got this one here where it happens just like that again. It is agony to leave you, but I must go on alone. Aya. I will stand by my duty. Where will your duty take you? North, to set the sea aflame. I walk on your water. I hope we will hunt together again soon. Until then, let us take this night as ours. Yeah, I'm willing to spend time with you and hopefully we get to go out killing again together. But since we can't, let's just bang instead. Vyak's like, I love you still. He doesn't even say I love you. Like she's his whole world, you know? Mm -hmm. Like that and that I think probably adds to it because she's avoidant and he's he's kind of put her on a pedestal, you know. He's obsessed with her in a way, not in a necessarily unhealthy way. Like it is beautiful to see how much he loves her, but it clearly I don't know. It's it's not it's not for her. You know, she's she's constantly leaving. She doesn't have to. She really doesn't have to leave him. She could just mm -hmm. as easily take on the Order of the Ancients with Bayek the whole time. But I don't know. I think this quote is the, basically the essential of Bayek saying I love you and Aya saying I love spending time with you. Mm hmm. Oh, that cuts deep. Damn. And so I do think I do think that Aya loves Bayek. I do hold fast to that. But there's just something about Bayek is trying to run back to how things were, and Aya is trying to run away from how things are. Yeah. And she runs and takes that final step. And in this, this, this is the last clip right after they've had the, you know, their final breakup. And to me, it is such an Aya in power moment that I like it for what it is. I just hate what it took to get there. But here we go. But I am no longer who I was. I have renounced all love I once had. I have renounced Aya. I have killed Aya. I am now the Hidden One, known as Amunet. It just makes me feel bad for her, though, because, like, that's her whole life now. She literally said, like, I've renounced all love I once had. Does that include the love she has for her son, even though he's dead? Or is this all for the love she has for her son? I think the, this scene hits emotionally from the characterization, but it also hits emotionally from a like history of the game standpoint in that time and time again, to take the Assassin's Creed, to take this commitment 
require sacrifice. It requires a denial of yourself. It requires you to be not only self-sacrificing, but sacrificing of a life you could have. We see this time and time again of Edward giving up his dream of piracy and wealth, of Altair giving up his even his like stubbornness and strong-headedness. We see it with Ezio with this idea that he's going to be this Italian noble and rise up and all of that. We see it time and time again of sacrifice and death and all of this at time. And so to see the formation of the Assassin Brotherhood, the Hidden Ones, to be centered around a sacrifice, not only a sacrifice of this person who went through this trauma, but a sacrifice of this relationship on basically the altar of the freedom of, of humankind is like the core of what it means to be an assassin, which is why I, I actually think there are very few assassin protagonists who really live up to that. Um, I think I have four, which are Altair, Adewale from the Freedom Cry DLC, Connor Kenway, and Bayek, um, who really understand the two tenets that are at the core of what they're about, which is the freedom of humankind and the protection of the innocent. And it's just this moment where they're both saying what we're fighting for, what we're trying to accomplish is bigger than us. It's bigger than our relationship. It's bigger than our trauma. And so we have to leave this behind. I was just going to say, I, I, when I played Assassin's Creed, the first one on my little Xbox 360 back in the day, I had the biggest crush on Altair. I was like, oh man, who is this guy? love him forever he was my favorite you can't even see his face i know it wasn't about his face it was just about him and his it's about his ass, his, his ass. no it was his personality is like his mysterious ways i was like oh i love hmm. him um which is weird because i was playing as him but um anyway i also wanted to say about bayek when you said like his he centers like protecting the innocent that's something i really love about Bayek and that he's honestly like the nicest best assassin we ever get to play as just the fact that you see how he interacts with children throughout the game he helps people all of the time for no other reason than just to be helpful and you can pet cats he's just so great I love that about him because and I love that he's the first one well him and Aya you know like it's it to me it's such a nice foundation for why they started i also think it's really ironic that like i have such a driving force behind starting the assassins and when you boil it down it's like this whole thing was started because these two parents were trying to basically protect their kid because if that hadn't existed the order of the ancients their son would still be alive and like that is the most basic representation of protecting the innocent is protecting your child. So I just think that's mm -hmm. the best origin story for the assassins. Yeah. Um, and that kind of tragedy actually follows Aya's bloodline from her descent, from her ancestors to her and then her descendants. Like just, and from the Assassin's Creed story, like that bloodline follows her and it's just very sad so how does the bloodline continue i'm not 
exactly sure. Um, it's really hard because it's really, really complicated. Yeah. Uh, how this happens and the way that Isu genes interact with the human genome is very science fiction-y and very like you tilt your head like this makes scientific sense on the surface but when you really think about how science works this doesn't make any sense um but it has to do with the fact that um these bloodlines spread out and so like this bloodline that follows to where we get to Aya is 400, 500 years removed from the, like, original. So there are a lot more split-offs than just Aya. Okay. So, right, it could be Aya's grandmother's cousin's sister brother had a child, and that's where the bloodline is continuing from there. I, okay, yeah. Correct. So, like, for example, Altair and Ezio are both ancestors of Desmond Miles. One is from his maternal line and one is from his paternal line. Both of them trace back to this bloodline as well. Yeah. This one is definitely, it's a very, like you said, that we don't get very much romance in Assassin's Creed games. I mean, Odyssey is its own category because you can fuck everything that moves in that game. Um, but th those aren't really true romances either. If, we'll get to that game eventually, but I think we, we definitely needed to start with Origins. Um mainly because it's a really it's a very complex and interesting relationship that these two have and so i'm glad that we started here with them and mm. i think that they did overall a really good job with it like i am i'm saddened by this relationship i am hurt by it but those are still positive reactions. I'm I'm having an emotional reaction to this relationship. And so therefore for me it still makes it a good romance. Yeah. I mean for me it's like we've we always talk about how we want to see an established relationship in a game, not just a fresh one starting out and you know, it's it's that. It's also a relationship that's ending. But that's not a bad thing inherently. It's just, I mean, all relationships end eventually. You either break up or you die. You're never together forever. So I think the way that they came together, had their beautiful marriage, their beautiful son, and then they created this literal heirloom for the world, like this organization that has protected who knows how many people over the generation since they began it i mean it's they created something greater than themselves and aya was definitely on board with that and for me i always read it as like bayek was doing it for aya you know like he also mm -hmm. wanted to protect people but like he was doing it for his love of aya and i had a tiny quote from his letter because you can see a note that he wrote aya in assassin's creed valhalla and it's just, it's so cute. Like he ends it, I think with this, it says, take care my love, my Izette, my Northern star. Even in my waning years, I am still your Osiris. 
Let our Horus live on beyond us. I think of you often, my jewel. At sunrise, at twilight, at new moon and full, when rain falls and the breath of Amun rides across my neck. I remember you kissing me just there, and I will take this feeling to my tomb. Get you a man who writes you letters like that, you know? <laughs> but like, even like Bayek in the sense of like, like, the gods, the Egyptian gods that he chooses are two gods that are eternally separated based on tragedy and betrayal. Yep. Yep. I think that um, that quote you read is a great example of Bayek's masculinity because like he is such a great example of a man who is comfortable being emotional, who is comfortable expressing his emotions. And I think that that is such a good example, not just to have in media, but to have in video games and to have mm. for fans of Assassin's Creed. I mean, if, if you Google things on the internet, you, there are some pretty rabid Assassin's Creed fans out there. So I love that that Bayek is this example of true masculinity, of, of gentleness, of feeling your feelings. Um, Aragorn. I think it's beautiful. <laughs> yes. Yeah. He's the Aragorn of Assassin's Creed, which is why we love Absolutely. Him. Yeah, I think really my last thing about Bayek and Aya is summed in from my favorite quote from the one and only Dorian Pavis, who we all hold dear in our hearts. And in this quote, he's talking to Cole, and Cole is trying to understand Dorian's relationship with his father. And eventually Dorian just says, sometimes love isn't enough. And that quote has always really struck real for me because... I mean, if there's a difference between like being with someone and being someone's companion and companionship, and sometimes to obtain companionship, sometimes love is not enough. There has to be more that ties you together. And I think that with Bayek and Aya, it's a perfect example of they both do love each other. Aya does not want harm from Bayek. She actually, I think, deep down does not want to be separated from him. But both of them know and acknowledge that for them to stay together, it would lead to bitterness and resentment. And neither of them want to hold each other in that space. And so they agree that we're going to let our love first, but know that it's not enough to keep us together in this moment. I think that highlights their immense respect for one another, which is such a great thing to see, especially 20 years into a marriage. I fully agree with that. You know, when I was playing through it, I thought, you know, and when it got to the end, I was like, oh, yeah, she just doesn't love him anymore. But I can also see from your standpoint that they love each other enough to know that if they forced themselves to stay together, they would no longer be in love anymore. And that can turn to bitter mm -hmm. hatred that can turn to sorrow and just like, I can't be around you anymore. And so they love each other enough to know that it has to end. Mm -hmm. I still stand by the point that I think that Bayek loves Aya more than she loves him. But I, also totally I think I agree with that. Yeah. I think 
I think I tend to agree that, but solely because I don't think Aya stops enough to really feel any emotion other than anger and hatred towards the ones she wants to destroy. I really understand her. Like, I would never want to imagine my kid dying, but if that if I were in Aya's place, everything would fall away for me too, and I would only want to live so that I could kill everyone who did that to my kid. So I totally understand her. Oh, I had something. Where'd it go? Hopefully it's happier than what I just said, so we don't end on that note. <laughs> oh, yeah, actually, it was, um, because I also loved, with Aya, I love the friendship rivalry, we're gonna flirt, uh, or no, the, the, the ship captain, I can't think of his name right now, when, when you play as Aya, and she's on the ship, mm-hmm. the guy that she's with. I love how he flirts and she's just like, shut up, you old man, or she'll just take it and laugh it off. I love that. Um, I also kind of just want to see her hook up with Cleopatra. Maybe that's why Cleo's rules were all about like any man that wants to try and sleep with me will just die in the morning. That's why I keep a whole bunch of women around because we fuck all the time. Like that's that's what I that's mm-hmm. my headcanon. We don't need a man. My God, Aya really weird side note that you just made me think of that we could end on this tangent when i was in philadelphia i went on this tour that i thought was supposed to be a historic ghost tour but it actually was like dark adult history and we went to like where all the old brothels were and stuff and this is not a true fact that i know i wish you were with me jen but i went with my sister and this is not a true fact at all but the lady was just telling like sex jokes making it like like sprinkling them in with historical facts to just confuse you but i looked this up afterward and apparently it's not true but anyway people think that the first vibrator was invented in egypt i think by cleopatra some people will say that by putting bees inside of a gourd and shaking it to make them angry <laughs> so they'd buzz that is not true, but I heard that on this tour, and then I just thought of it right now when you talked about Cleopatra and all her girlfriends. I heard it was that... Scarab Beetles. You heard it was Scarab Beetles? See, I'm traumatized by those thanks to The Mummy, right. the movie. Mm-hmm. They don't do that at all, first of all, but that mm, scared little kid me. I want that to be true, so it is true. Kind of like there's a old historical fact that St. Nicholas actually punched someone in the face during a religious council. And it's not true, but I believe that it's true. So it is true. So Santa Claus like punched that. someone in the face. Instead of getting coal, you'll just get smacked around. Exactly. Exactly. Um, also on a happier note, just about Bayek, um, I really love that he's in the middle of like this quest for vengeance and like tasked by Cleopatra, the rebel queen or whatever that, but like if this merchant or if this citizen comes in and is like, this merchant scammed me out of my best pelt or whatever, Bayek's like, okay, let's go. Like, I'm going to go beat up some people. Everything. (laughs) He is Medjai of Cleopatra, but he is still Medjai of Siwa. And so he Mm -hmm. remembers his roots where he was helping any person who came asking for it. Uh, Yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, there's a great quote. My favorite version of Luke Skywalker is actually Luke Skywalker in Battlefront 2. And he he helps this Imperial agent. And the Imperial agent is like, why did you help me? And Luke is just like, because you asked. And that is everything that is Bayek. Why did you help me? Because you asked. I love it. Actually, that was a really good game, too. I played that. Oh, hold on. There I is a romance in that game. I have one final oh, note because shit. I just remembered that you do see a bunch of titty in this game. But it is just mm-hmm. from the women casually walking around. And that is not illegal. That is not pornographic. And that is why they can put it into games or even in real world context. Like, you can walk around topless. It's not illegal anywhere. But if you make any lewd actions or you are shaking yourself, making it look provocative, it is the act of being provocative while naked that is explicit, not the act of nudity in it, in it of itself. What if the what? act of walking causes your titties to bounce? Then that's not provocative. <laughs> that's just you walking. But if you brush yourself or if you are like, making lingering eye contact while suggestively swaying then that makes it illegal what if i am walking on a hot day and i spill ice cream on my titty am i allowed to wipe it off or is that too you have to lick it off (laughs) (laughs) you have valid valid reason for touching yourself and you are not I I don't think you would be trying to arouse sexual arousal in people by wiping I ice need, cream off yourself. I just imagine you're like, I need oh, polka no, shins. I ice cream on myself. You know? <laughs> God, no one can find you sexual. It's just food. Wait, no, Austin, you are male. It doesn't matter at all about yeah, you. Nipples and your nipples are allowed titties. on Facebook, even so. Yeah, right. Yeah. So now, if you were I mean, I was, around with your pants down, I was talking down as and, if I was a if, if I was a woman, a woman. then yeah, yeah, probably you would. Yeah, you'd probably get in trouble for that. <laughs> oh man. Okay, ice cream titties. Good way to end the episode, guys. Let's wrap it up here and plugs, <laughs> and hopefully V doesn't die of laughter. Back to Assassin's Creed. So in the second Assassin's Creed game, when Ezio goes up to be with uh, Christina, there's a brief like flash of Titty before the fade to black. Is it because it's super pixelated? Is the resistance that like Origins is better graphics so the titties look more like real titties? Well, no, because I mean, there are other games within the same. What what rating is that game? You'll have to look that up for me. M. It's M. M for mature? Then that's fine. You can show whatever you want. You can't... Sh- I don't think you can go penis or vagina, but titty is fine in a rated M game. If you want it below that, you can't have flesh. That's why Mass Effect gets rid of the nipples on Liara and Ashley in Mass Effect 1. Um, so that way they could keep the rating lower. If they had shown nipples in that final scene, then that would have been rated higher. Well, that's so interesting um, because I'm sure you're aware of the controversy with the Witcher next gen update. I swear to God, if they get if they censor my trading cards in the remake of the Witcher one, I'm going to be so mad. 
Like, those were some of the first video game titties that I ever saw. Those are emblazoned in my brain forever. Don't take those away from me. Well, apparently, when they did the next-gen update of The Witcher 3, they they kept part of one of the mods that made vaginas look a little too real. And so... They had to remove it. Okay. Um, I don't know how I feel on that one. Mm-hmm. I'd have to think more. But if I go down on my brain on a tangent thinking about realistic vaginas right now, then it's not going to be good. Mm-hmm. So let's do our plugs. <laughs> Shelby can do can do the plugs for us because I'll probably say something that's inappriate. <laughs> um okay. Yes, well just to move us along. Okay. <laughs> I need a minute. <laughs> Did you make a plug um, joke? Anyway. <laughs> imagine. Imagine that. Um anyway, so we are the cups. If if you've enjoyed this um whatever this was you can listen to our podcast too we have a few episodes where genesis and vervada have been on individually and one together where they um we did a little switchover episode and it was very fun so definitely come check us out you can check us out at the dragon age Lorecast, the assassin's creed Lorecast, and austin is a co-host of the holocron histories podcast without me which is a star wars show and um we both do the inherited cycle page by page which we're not currently releasing new episodes but we read through and dissected all of the Aragon novel. So those are our four shows. And um, yeah, follow us over there. We're on Twitter, threads, YouTube, Discord, pretty much everything, you name it. Um, if you have more questions, you can check out our website at cubspodcasting.com. The one created by the Nug King himself, who gets a special shout out at the that end of me. every episode. Hmm. <laughs> it's true. It is true. And of course, if you like what you are hearing, please be sure to leave a rating and a review on iTunes or on that new Spotify feature and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. You can now find me on the Cyberpunk Lorecast with my co-hosty Toasty, where we explore the foundations of the past, the state of Night City today, and the news of the future for all things Cyberpunk. And Cyberpunk, uh, the tabletop game, just made the Hall of Fame. So major props and huge congratulations to them. 30 years in the making cyberpunk as a tabletop role-playing game. Um, and they have finally hit the hall of fame. Congrats. And of course you can always find me and the cups on the robots radio discord. And we have our own channel, two girls, one ship on there. Come give us a follow on all the social medias and on patreon.com slash two girls, one ship. Links to those are in the description. Mm-hmm. And I'm on the Robots Radio Discord as well, and on our own Two Girls One Ship Discord server where we nerd out on all our favorite CGI significant others. Be sure to check out our live streams on Twitch on Fridays at 10:30 p.m. Eastern Time, 7:30 p.m. Pacific Time. Our podcast episodes release on Mondays because you need at least one good thing on a Monday. Let's do this one all together. So thanks for listening. And remember, 
at beauty, beauty, beauty is an eye controller. Do you love Dragon Age? Have you always wanted to learn more about its vast world and detailed lore? Are you still attached to your hero of Ferelden, even a decade after Dragon Age Origins came out? Or maybe you're a newer fan, still discovering a new tidbit or quest every day. Well, either way, the Dragon Age Lorecast is the podcast for you. I'm Austin, also known as Teacup. And I'm Shelby, also known as SheCup. And come and join us as we embark on a journey to explore and discover all things Dragon Age. We'll discuss all kinds of topics, from Lyrium to the Chantry and the great mysteries of the old gods, and even more that even you Bioware superfans might not know about. So come and listen on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. And always remember... Swooping.